Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be examining the readings for the Solemnity of the Body and Blood of Christ, which we will celebrate on June the 14th, 2020. Some of you uh, may remember when this feast was called the Feast of Corpus Christi, which is Latin for Body of Christ. And I want to give a special hello and welcome to any listeners who are in or from the Texas town of Corpus Christi. Let's begin our study with the first reading, which is from the book of Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy 8, 2-3, and four, the second half of 14 through the first half of verse 16. And it's Moses is talking to the people here, and what we have is that uh, Moses is trying to tell the people what God has been doing for them, because they just don't seem to remember very, have very good memories for all of this. He says, remember how for 40 years the Lord your God has directed all your journeyings in the desert. It's, uh, so this is at the end of the wilderness experience for the Israelites as they were leaving, had left Egypt, and were about to enter the promised land. And uh, we can look again at the end of, toward the end of Deuteronomy, uh, in Deuteronomy 29, 4 and 5, uh, Moses tells them that, God, uh, speaking for God, it says, I have been leading you for 40 years in the desert, yet the clothes which you have been wearing have not worn out nor have the sandals on your feet. You have had no bread to eat, and you have had no wine, fermented liquor to drink, so that you would learn that I, Yahweh, am your God. So they've been spending a lot of time, and they've had to leave behind in Egypt all of the things that they were so familiar with that they enjoyed. And you, we see in throughout the wilderness uh, journey in the, in the uh, Pentateuch, the first five books, that so frequently the people were upset and were, were really angry with Moses that he took them out of Egypt. They may have been slaves, but they had everything that they wanted to eat, leeks and vegetables and pots of meat and all sorts of things, and they just weren't really very happy with what's going on. So, so God has directed their journey in the wilderness so as to test you, uh, and that again, that word test is one that is means like an assayer, to, to determine what they're made of. He's testing them. Not only God knows what they're made of, but that they can see what they're made of and to find out whether or not your intention was to keep his commandments. So these are the words of God, the word of God. And then he fed you with manna, a food unknown to you and your fathers. Now, this is very interesting. If you look at the Hebrew word for manna, basically means, what is this? So it's something that they had not experienced before, and God was giving this to them to eat. And if you remember correctly, they also got very tired of the manna. So then let's look at Exodus 16, verses 4 to 5. Uh, this is from the New Jerusalem Bible. Yahweh then said to Moses, Look, I shall rain down bread for you from the heavens. Each day the people must go out and collect their ration for the day. I propose to test them in this way to see whether they will follow my law or not, which basically means his word, what he tells them, which is what he told them to do, to go out every day and do it. On the sixth day, however, when they prepare what they brought, have brought in, this must be twice as much as they collected in the ordinary days. So this was, uh, again, a preparation for the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And then again, let's look at Exodus 16, verses 13 and 15. 
And this is uh, shortly after this, uh, what, when uh, God spoke this through Moses, it says, that evening the quails flew over in the camp, in and covered the camp, and the next morning there was a layer of dew all around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, or dew lifted on the surface of the desert was something fine and granular, as fine as hoarfrost on the ground. As soon as the Israelites saw this, they said to one another, what is this, not knowing what it was? That, Moses told them, is the food which Yahweh has given you to eat. So this is the bread that God provided in the, in the wilderness. And this is a foreshadowing of the bread that Jesus gives us through the Eucharist. And the people were, went out and got it. But like I say, they, they weren't always obedient. And it says a little bit farther down that if they gathered more than they should have, that it spoiled before the next day. So they had to clean out the pots or whatever they gathered it in. And then the other thing is that Jesus quotes uh, from one, a place in Matthew 4, 4. He, remember when he, he encountered the devil, the devil told, asked him, you know, you must be hungry after these 40 days in the desert with nothing to eat. So he told Moses, or he, I'm sorry, the devil told Jesus, why don't you change these stones into bread? And Jesus comes back to him and quotes scripture to him. And remember, every time that the devil said something to Jesus, Jesus quoted scripture back to the devil. And so Jesus said to him, scripture says, human beings do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. A word is a significant, uh, using the the word is a significant thing in that particular passage, because if you go back to John chapter one, verse one, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things had their being through him. Nothing was created without, you know, without him, which again points back to the first couple of chapter, uh, verses of Genesis, where it says that, you know, it talks about that the, at the beginning there was chaos and over the chaos came the mighty wind and the, the father was there, God was there, and he spoke his word and things were created. Jesus is the word of God. So again, from that scripture, which I believe is from Leviticus 4, uh, Jesus is telling him, telling the people or telling the devil and then therefore also to us because it's recorded for us that he, that it's not just the food that we eat, the normal food, but the food which is the word of God. And he is the word of God. And the, the, uh, the Eucharist is his body and blood. And so it's, this is very important that we get this because he's talking to us about the Eucharist even back this far into the scripture in the Old Testament. And then he goes on to say, do not forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, again, the word Egypt, uh, the Hebrew connotation for Egypt, not only it's, talks, it's, it's dual talking about upper and lower Egypt, which would be how far up the Nile you're looking, uh, but also it's a, a considered a boundary, a boundary with the promised land. And the third thing is it's a place of slavery. And, you know, it's very important that we understand this because Jesus, the, 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 the trip for, out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land 
it was a foreshadowing of Jesus coming to remove us from the slavery to sin. And if you look at, at uh, John chapter 8, verse 34, when he's having a discussion, he's, he starts off this discussion with, if you know, if you make my word bring home, if you dwell in my word, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, the Israelites or the Hebrew people or Jewish people that he was talking to got all upset about this, saying that they'd never been slaves, obviously forgetting that they had been slaves in Egypt and they'd been slaves in, in Babylon. But to, to their, their, uh, to them in reply, he says, in truth, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So Jesus coming, Jesus is the new Moses. He is the one that takes us out of the slavery of the Egypt of sin and into the promised land. So it's, it's important that we understand this, that uh, this is just packed with references to Jesus and to the Eucharist. It says, out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery, who guided you through the vast and terrible desert. Now, the word for desert here is interesting also in that the, the Hebrew word for desert is one that can mean pasture, wilderness, desert. So if we take it as a past, the meaning of pasture, again, it's referring to Jesus as being the good shepherd that leads his, feet, his sheep out to where they can be fed, to the pasture land. And it's, it's interesting that, that we, that this is said also in this passage from, uh, from, uh, Deuteronomy. And it says, through the terrible desert with its seraph serpents and scorpions. Now, the seraph serpent, seraph is a word that means fiery. And if you remember in, uh, Numbers 21, uh, uh, uh verses four through nine, the people were very upset with Moses again. They said, said, they said to him, why did you bring us out of Egypt to die in the desert? For there is neither food nor water here. We are sick of this meager diet. At this, God sent fiery serpents, seraph serpents among the people. Their bite brought death to many in Israel. The people came and said to Moses, we have sinned. They acknowledged their sin. And, uh, uh, with, uh, and they asked Moses then to intercede for them. And Moses was told to put a fiery serpent, a brass fiery serpent on a pole and lift it up. And anybody who would look on that would be saved. So this again is, Jesus talked about this to Nicodemus. He's saying that just as though, just as the serpent was raised up on, the di- in, on a pole in the desert, so must the son of man be lifted up. So it's that passage then refers to the crucifixion where Jesus is lifted up and that lifting up and looking upon the crucifix is what saves us. And it says it's a parched and waterless ground and we can go on and on and on and talk about that a lot, but we won't, we won't do all of that because this is where Moses struck the rock. He's talking about when he struck the rock and the water came forth so that they didn't die of thirst. And he fed you my... my in the desert with manna, a food unknown to your fathers. Twice in this passage, he talks about manna, a food unknown to your fathers. When Jesus is talking, when we get to the gospel, we see that Jesus is talking to the Jews in his Eucharistic discourse. He is telling them about a food which was unknown to them and to their fathers, the Eucharist. So, And it's so important that we understand all of this because 
it gives you uh, an, an indication of what's going on uh, in the gospel that we as we see that here in the first reading. And the church in its wisdom so often finds a an Old Testament passage which mirrors what's going to be talked about in the in the gospel. So let's with that let's pass now and let's look at the gospel. And uh, this gospel is part of that Eucharistic discourse. Now the, this this particular uh, the Eucharistic discourse did not happen on the mount where Jesus fed the multitudes, but it comes after that. Jesus fed the five thousand on a mountain, and then everybody got in the boat. And they went to Capernaum, which was the capital, or not the capital, but the headquarters, both for uh, Peter and and uh, his fishing buddies, as well as Jesus's ministry. So he's here. It's here. He's 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 here, and he says to them, Jesus said to the two Jewish crowds, "I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Living bread. Okay, the bread." Normally, bread is taken from, is made from a flour. Uh, in general, the, the typical flour that was used in the time of Jesus was barley. And, and, but it, there are places where in the, in the Psalms, for example, he talks that he feeds us with finest wheat. And the Eucharist that we use is a wheat flour, which was too expensive for the common people to have. So, so that it's wheat it used for the Eucharistic bread is significant in that it was something that was better than what the people normally had. But he's the living bread. He's, it's not just something that's not alive anymore. It has life in it. Wheat, the, the wheat grain that's ground into flour, it had, at the flour, it no longer has life in it. It can no longer bear new, uh, uh, is no longer a seed for more wheat. But Jesus is the living bread, and that word is zao, which means to live or to breathe. And we'll see that in this passage, living bread is used, spoken of, it's spoken of bread, bread, flesh. He talks about his flesh, the flesh of the Son of Man, flesh and blood, flesh is food, and so forth. And it's he uses these interchangeably. He talks about the things that are alive, what makes it alive. So when we eat the flesh and blood of Jesus, it's not a dead Jesus that we're eating, but a living Jesus that we're eating. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And that forever really means that it goes beyond what uh, just the life that's here. It, in a sense, it's saying that like Jesus, we may die, but we are going to rise again. But the, the thing that we need to do to make sure that we rise again is that we eat this bread, the living bread, which gives us eternal life. It's like in John chapter 4, where Jesus was uh, speaking with the woman at the well, and the woman at the well uh, asked him to give her, a, give her the, the water that he was talking about so that she wouldn't have to come and get, drink, get water to drink every day. And, and this is in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, in the this is from the New Jerusalem Bible, whoever drinks this water, speaking of the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But no one who drinks the water that I shall give will ever be thirsty again. The water that I shall give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So what Jesus gives us for food and for drink 
is going to give us eternal life. And it's going to quench the thirst that we have if, if, that's, if we are willing to allow it to quench our thirst. And he talks again about thirst in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Jesus cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let anyone who believes in me come and drink. As scripture says, from his heart shall flow streams of living water. And Jesus, you remember back with the, the woman at the well, he again talked about that the, this, the water of life will spring up from the heart of the person who drinks the water that Jesus will give. And so what, what Jesus is talking about throughout John uh, and, and what, we, what we see frequently in John is that he talks about this life-giving stuff, the, the, that he's going to give life that's eternal. He's going to give us things that satisfy us. And he's not necessarily talking about our sensual pleasures. It's not like those of us here in Texas who maybe have a taste for bluebell ice cream or Texas barbecue or uh, something else that's so native to Texas and so so much that we, we all think so much of it and, and enjoy it. He's going to give us what's going to satisfy the underlying hunger and thirst that we have. So often in life, we have a hunger and a thirst for something, and we don't know quite what it is. And if you're like me, you tend to open the refrigerator and the pantry and start grazing and hoping that you will satisfy that hunger and that thirst. And it just doesn't happen. He says, the, fret, the bread that I will give is my flesh. And the word for flesh there is sarks. And that's the same word that Paul uses frequently when he talks about yielding to our flesh. But it 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 means the flesh that's that the skin is taken off of an animal, and it's something it's meat. It's the meat of an animal that you would eat. So he's talking that the bread that he's going to give is his own flesh that we are going to gnaw off of the bone. And then the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, How could this man give us his flesh to eat? How can he be alive and give us his flesh to eat? Now you have to understand that that uh, in the Jewish law, there was prohibition against cannibalism, which is what the people were understanding Jesus saying, that you need to be cannibals and eat me. And then when he goes on and talks about drinking his blood, there was a prohibition against drinking blood because the, the idea was that the life of the animal was in the blood. There are two things, the breath and the blood. And so... How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus says to them, amen, amen. Again, amen means it is so. It is so. It, and when you see the two together, remember, when you see like amen, amen, or it's a, uh, something repeated like that, it's, it's like amen is, is uh, the example that I always use is the difference between good, better, and best. When you see amen, amen, it's better. It's it just it's absolutely, it's true. It's more than what you think is true. It is true. And I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life within you. So what kind of life is he talking about? He's, he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about spiritual and eternal life, the, the life of the whole person, rather than just what we normally think of as walking around and, and before someone gets placed in a coffin and buried in the ground when they're dead. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Again, 
perpetual, without beginning, without end, life without end. Does that mean that they won't die? Not necessarily, because Jesus died and was rose from the dead. So he's promising us a resurrected life here in what he's saying. And he says, and I will raise him up on the last day. And that raise means that he's going to do for us what the Father did for him on that first Easter Sunday. He's going to raise us up. He's going to, we may be, have all the appearances of death, but he's going to raise us up to new life. He says, for my flesh is true food. It's actual, genuine, true food. And my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I remain in him. Now I'm going to read a couple of things. Remember, let's, let's take a couple of verses out of John chapter 15. And we're going to read John 15, 4 and 5. And then we're going to read John chapter 15, 16. Remain in me, abide in me, dwell in me, stay in me, as I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it remains a part of the vine, neither can you unless you remain with me, with me, pardon me, remain in me, with me in you. Uh, I'm sorry, whoever remains in me, with me in him, bears fruit in plenty. For cut off from me, you can do nothing. So this is a, that abiding. And it's the same thing that he talked about in John chapter 8, 31, where he talks about abide in my word. That abiding is the, the Greek word is meno, meno, which means that you stay. Uh, and so it's where do you stay? Do you, or do, are you a drifter who has no home that just goes from place to place to place? Or do you remain there? Or do you have... Do you remain somewhere where Jesus just isn't present? Jesus wants to be present with us always. So he's telling us to remain. So, so he's, And the qualification for that remaining is that you eat the bread, you eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, the other thing that you have to say is that uh, the reason why Jesus wants to be with us when we are alive is so that we can bear fruit and the fruit that will last. Now, uh, something that I forgot to mention when we were talking about blood, the Jews understood this, the blood was the blood of an animal, but they also talked about the blood of the grape as being the grape juice. So then he goes on to tell us, we're going to look at John 15, 16 here in a minute. Well, let's read that, and then, then we'll see what happens. No, you did not choose me. No, I chose you, and I commissioned you. I ordained you. And that word, the word for that is apostello, from which, which is the verb part of the word from which we get the, the noun apostle, which means to be sent forth, uh, set apart, uh, that, that a person is, is commissioned to go out and speak in the name of the person who commissioned them, uh, or it could be like a, uh, an ambassador. I commissioned you to go out and to bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that my Father will give you anything you ask him in my name. So Jesus is telling us here, just as the Father sent me, just as the living Father sent me, and I have life because of the Father, so also the one who feeds on me will have life because of me. So Jesus again is telling us uh, that, that, that the the uh, relationship that he has with the Father is a relationship he wants us to have with him. 
And we are able to do that if we eat his flesh and drink his blood. This is the bread that came down from heaven. He is the bread that came down from heaven. He is the manna that we eat. It says, unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, whoever eats this bread will live forever. So we will live forever if we eat the bread that Jesus gives us. And there's a note in the Jerusalem Bible on chapter 15. It's note R. It says, the life that the Father communicates to the Son passes to the faithful through the Eucharist. Let's look at the second reading, which is from 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17. And this one is pretty full of stuff, too, that we really need to think about it. It starts out with the cup of blessing that we bless. So the cup, like the cup that Jesus had at the Last Supper, is it not a participation? Is it not a koinonia, like a uh, partnership, participation, intercourse, a communion in the blood of Christ? The bread we, that we break, is it not a participation? in the body of Christ. So when we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we are provide, We are in communion. That's one of the reasons why the Eucharist is sometimes called communion, because it is a communion, a com, which is Latin for with, union. So it's with union. So it's a union of all the people who are part of the body of Christ and therefore with Christ himself. Because the loaf is one loaf, right? because uh, the loaf of bread is one and uh, uh, Paul also talks about later on that it's one body but many parts. So it's one body. So we're one. The bread, the loaf is one. The lo- body of Christ is one. And though we are many, one body. For we partake, we share or participate in the one loaf. And so we we have all of this these things that we are seeing here. The... Uh, The uh, Jerusalem Bible also has a note on on these verses. It says, by the sharing in the body of Christ, Christians are united in Christ and to one another. The Eucharist makes the unity of the church in Christ a reality. And it goes on to say, see uh, the note on 1 Corinthians 12, 12. There is so much more in here than I can talk about, but I and I'm going to stop at that and not even go to the responsorial psalm. I wish you very much that you are able to understand what this feast is all about, and it becomes a reality in your life that you, unlike about two-thirds or more of Catholics, those who proclaim to be Catholic, say that they don't believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. I wish you well, have a happy Corpus Christi, and we will see you next week.